everyone. It's great to see you today. I think one of the things that struck me this week, uh, so that I, in addition to preparing preaching, I was also I also go through a training with uh, some other interns, and we, this this period we're going through a training on preaching. So this one of the, one of the things that I learned is that uh, my job here, uh, my my job here is my main job uh, isn't to isn't to to explain to you what the passage is. That's not my main job. My main job is to help you to see for yourself uh, what... My my job is to use God's word to show you what God's word is saying, to show you what God is saying, so that God will speak to you through his word. Yes, and to do that, I will have to explain the Bible clearly. Yeah, so I hope that that's uh, what God will work in us today. I think uh, I'm glad that Minkit uh, prayed that for us. So today, as I start, I want to tell you about this gangster. This gangster I read about. So his name is Mickey Cohen. He's a gangster uh, in the Los Angeles between the 1930s to 1960s. Apparently, this the surprising thing about this guy is that uh, during this period, he became a Christian. He became a Christian uh, during his time. But after a few months after he said that he was a Christian... Uh, there was still no change in his life. The people around him looked at him and said, hey, you're still doing gangster stuff. You're still blackmailing people and doing all that kind of thing. So people uh, confronted him and said, hey, what's, what's going on? What's up? What's up with you? And this is what he said. He said, there are Christian football players, there are Christian cowboys, there are Christian politicians. So why not a Christian gangster? Why not a Christian gangster, right? So maybe, you know, Mickey Cohen didn't want to let go of his old sinful ways. He wants, the, he wants God's forgiveness. He wants uh, eternal life. But he also wants his old sinful lifestyle. But is that right? Can Christians live this way? Can Mickey Cohen be both a gangster and a Christian? Is this the way that Christians should live? Is this the way that we should live? Well, this is what this passage is about. Thank God that he hasn't left us alone to try to figure this out ourselves. He gave us Romans 12 to explain this to us. So let's look at Romans 12 together. Romans 12 verse 1 starts, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So it starts off with therefore. So this therefore is another super, super huge therefore in the whole book of Romans. So when you see the word therefore, we must always look for the because of, look for the reason behind this therefore. The reason is also in verse 1. So do you see it? It's uh, in these two very, very small words. You see it? It's God's mercy. The reason is God's mercy. So because of God's mercy, live this way. Because of God's mercy, live this way. And what is God's mercy here? God's mercy are just two small words to summarize everything from chapters 1 to 11. Summarize everything. So let's just try to summarize what we've learned so far. We learned in Romans uh, that all of us, all of us have rebelled against the God who created the world. So no mat- and no matter what we can do, no one can reach God's high, perfect standard. No one at all. So everyone, all of us, we are all due for God's judgment. We are all due for hell. Everyone deserves God's judgment. Everyone deserves hell. 
but God, but God gave us mercy by sending Jesus to die in our place. So everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved from God's judgment and receive eternal life. But we don't need, we don't deserve, we don't deserve God's mercy at all. But we are so bad, we deserve God's judgment. We deserve hell. But God chose to save us. God chose to show us mercy. So what does God's mercy for us mean? Uh, it means, in this passage, it means that we worship God by living uh, within His will, by living out His will. So let me read the rest of verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul's, here, Paul's words here are a command. They're not, they're, Paul says, I urge you, I urge you. He doesn't mean like, uh, do this if it's convenient, do this in your spare time, do this if uh, after working uh, uh, from 9 to 5 and you still have a little bit of energy, do this. No. Paul's, Paul, Paul is giving a structure here. This is not a good suggestion or an optional extra. This is something all Christians need to do, must do, because of God's mercy. And verse one says we must. So verse one says we must offer our bodies as a sacrifice. Let's offer our bodies as a sacrifice. But what does the word sacrifice mean? A sacrifice means that you give something to God that belongs to you. You give something to God that belongs to you. So in Old Testament, people sacrifice plants, they sacrifice crops to God. So when you sacrifice your animal to God, uh, it no longer belongs to you. It now belongs to God. So today, we have to, we, our bodies are the sacrifice. Our bodies are the sacrifice to God. So this means that our bodies don't belong to us. Our bodies belong to God. But you might ask, what kind of sacrifice are we? Are we supposed to, uh, I don't know, tie each other up and you know, set up a barbecue and barbecue each other? Well, no. That's, that's not the kind of sacrifice we are. Okay, there are three words to describe this sacrifice. Uh, we'll go through it quickly. So it's living, holy, pleasing. Living, holy, and pleasing. It's all in verse 1. Living, means that we are alive. We are not dead. We are not dead sacrifices. This means that our lives, our whole lives, offered to God, our whole lives, every single moment. So there's no uh, time out with this sacrifice. There's no point that you say, okay, this, is, uh, this, this time is my time, it's not God's time. No, there's no such thing. Secondly, our bodies uh, must be holy. Holy describes the nature of our sacrifice. Holy means that our bodies are pure. Our bodies are sacred to God. But just as God is holy, we too must be like God. We too must be holy. Our lives are holy and pure before God. Thirdly, our lives must be pleasing. So pleasing God is, uh, earlier on I said holiness is the nature of the sacrifice. Now, uh, pleasing uh, is the goal is the aim of the sacrifice. So pleasing means we aim to please God. Our goal is to please God with our bodies. The goal of our sacrifice is to please God. This 
is true and proper worship. That's how the verse ends. This is your true, uh, some, some versions will say this is your reasonable worship. This is the kind of worship that fits uh, God's mercy for me. It's only right that I worship God this way. It's interesting that our bodies are a sacrifice to God, a sacrifice to worship God. But some people think that uh, worship is uh, the singing part at church. Yeah, just now before the prayer meeting, I was, uh, I was carrying chairs to uh, lay it out for, for lunch, and this is what I saw, okay? This is what I saw. Okay, let's see if I can get it out. It's not coming out. Why isn't it coming out? Why isn't it coming out? Oh, well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what I saw. It says, worship at second level. Yeah. So this is not what Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 1 is talking about. Worship isn't just gathering here at second level uh, to sing songs to God. Worship is it's what we do uh, with our bodies to please God. But how can I do this uh, practically? You see, we, we all want to please God, right? So how do I worship God? How do I live as a sacrifice? To live as a sacrifice, we must know what is God's will. We must know what's God's will first. So let's look at verse 2. Let's see what it says. Verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So to, to know God's will, verse 2 says, Don't follow the world. Do not follow the way the world is, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by, by shaping our minds, by thinking about what, is God's, what God's mercy is about. So keep reading the Bible, keep seeing what God has done for you, how God has shown you mercy. So how do we, uh, at the end of verse 2 it says, so that you may test and approve uh, what God's will is. How do we do that? How do we test and approve what God's will is? Also, uh, in every situation, let's say decisions between whether I should work in company A or company B, we always have uh, two options. So what I do is I'll test these two options according to what, to what the Bible says to see which fits God's will better. So verse 1 and 2 says that God wants our whole lives, our every moment, every single moment. And that is, that is only right. This is this is the right way to live because we all are in God's debt. God saved us, so we are all in God's debt. So living, this is the right way to respond to God is to live every moment for God. In some way, this is like the genie in Aladdin. Do you all watch Aladdin? You know what I'm talking about, right? So when, when, when Aladdin like, rubbed the magic lamp, then the genie come out, poof, like the blue guy, right? The, yeah, this time blue, lah, okay, but... Anyway, so the genie comes out and he calls Aladdin uh, his master. He calls, him, he calls Aladdin his master for releasing him from the, from the lamb. And then the, the genie makes these very, very famous words. Do you know what he says? He says, your wish is my command. Yeah, your wish is my command. So similarly, as God has saved us, God has a big say in every part of our life, a big, big say in every part of life. 
because we have all received God's mercy, we have all been saved by God. So we want to live for God. We want to offer our lives as a sacrifice to God. So this is the right way uh, to worship God, to live our lives for God. This is the right way to say thank you uh, to God. So don't try to earn God's mercy with your life. Uh, don't try to... You have already received God's mercy. So respond in thankful worship. And, and keep thinking, keep constantly thinking about uh, how to be a sacrifice uh, that pleases God. Okay, so that's verse 1 and 2. Let's look at the rest of the passage. So the rest of the passage, from this point onwards, I think the rest of the letter gives specific examples on how to please God as a sacrifice. Specific examples on how to please God as a sacrifice. The first example we see is to uh, think humbly uh, to serve others. So that's from verse uh, 3 to 8. The sacrifice in church. So I'll be explaining verse 4 to 8 first before going back to verse 3. So verse 3 is like the main command, but verse 4 to 8 are the reasons for this command. Okay, so the reason for the command, anyway, let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 says that the Christians are like a human body. Verse 4 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so, also, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Okay, let me pause here. This passage says that there are uh, some similarities between the human body and the church. So I picked up uh, two, two big reasons. So the first reason is... Uh, as there are many parts of the body, there are many parts. There are many parts in one body. How is that similar to the church? Uh, verse five says, "So in Christ we, though many, form one body." So the church has many members, and in Christ, all the Christians in the same church belong to one body. In Christ, we are one. We belong to one another. That's the first point. We belong to one another. So second, second point, just as, they are, just as different parts of the body all have different uses, different functions, so we also have different gifts. So that's in verse 6. Verse 6 says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So let me summarize the two similarities. Firstly, we belong to God. Secondly, we all have different gifts. So with, with uh, these two points, how should we live in church? How do we live as living sacrifices in church? So the point is very clear. We must serve one another. We must serve one another. Just serving one another is what living sacrifices do at church. So give up your interests. Give, your, give up yourself to serve one another in church. So then there are some examples from verse 6 to 8 about, about these things. So this is the reason. So we belong to one another. Uh, we all have gifts. So how does this link up to the main command? What is the main command anyway? So the main command is in verse 3. Let me read that for us. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the faith God has distributed to each of you. 
So the command in verse 3 is to think. See, we see, we see the word think quite a few times. So uh, in some, I think it's not very clear enough. In, we don't see it every time here, but uh, in other translations, there, there is up to three or four times the word think. So Paul wants us to think, think rightly. The verse 3 gives, gives us the same instruction kind of in two ways. So first, it gives us a negative and the positive. So negative is, do not think of yourself more highly than you, sh- than you ought. And the positive, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. So what Paul is saying is that you don't overestimate your status. Don't think that you are so high up there that everyone is like so low and you can't bring yourself to lower you can't bring yourself to lower yourself to serve others. Think of yourself as humble, as low, as lowly people. Uh, with sober judgment. Friends, all Christians, if you're like me, all of us, uh, we all have a, a problem. We all have a pride problem. We all have a pride problem. We all think that we are very, very important. We think we are the most important person in the whole world. And everyone must serve us. So we always feel very happy when people serve us. So we don't like to serve one another. We don't like to lower ourselves. We don't like to think of ourselves low to serve someone else in church. But to be God's living sacrifice, but to be God's living sacrifice, that's what we have to do. We have to lower ourselves in our thinking and serve one another. So this, this verse 3 is telling us to change our mind, uh, to change our actions. So think of yourself as servants to each other servants to other, others in church and serve them. Uh, when I was in uni, uh, which was a couple of years back, yeah, yeah, so, uh, when I was in uni, I learned about this uh, principle. It's called the Pareto 80-20 principle. Have you heard of this before? Yeah, okay. So, and it's, it's uh, something that I learned at business school. So this principle means that 80% of your, of your output comes from 20% of your input. Okay, 80% output comes from 20% of your input. So uh, when I was learning it, when I was learning it uh, about it in uni, what this means for companies is that 80% of your company's output, 80% of everything your company does comes from 20% of your employees. Okay, so I'm not sure whether you, you, you see that that's true in your own companies, but that's what, that's what it says, uh, the Pareto 80-20 principle. Do you think so? I don't know. No. Okay, some smiles here and there. Okay, so this might be right for, this might be what's going on in companies, but this cannot be right. This cannot be right in church. It cannot be that 20% of the people in church do 80% of the work. See, Romans 12 says that God has given everyone, God has given all of us gifts to serve the church. So for church, it's not the 80-20 principle, it's the 100-100 principle. 100% of the people at church doing 100% of the work. So we cannot think of ourselves as like so important, think of ourselves in a prideful manner and not want to serve others, not want to lower ourselves to serve others. So as I said, this whole passage is all about how to live out this life as a sacrifice. 
So how do we do that in church? Do that in church by using our gifts to serve one another, to serve others. So not using our gifts, not serving others, means that you're not living out this, living as a sacrifice. So if you don't, if you don't serve one another, then you are just like Mickey Cohen. You want to be a Christian, but you also want to keep your own lives. You don't want to give it up for God. You don't want to give it up to serve other people. You don't want to be a living sacrifice. So friends, Paul's command in verse 3 is to change your mind, change the way you think. Don't think of yourself it's more highly than you ought. Think of yourself soberly. Lower your status in your mind. Lower it to see that you are, you are servants of each other, other people, and do your best to serve them. For some of us, I, I think this sounds really, really, really scary. So we might think that we are new or we might think God hasn't given us any gifts and, or any abilities. So, and we don't think that, we think that some that other people can't benefit from, uh, from what, we can, what we can do for them. But friends, I hope that you see that from this passage, this is wrong thinking. So we, verse, uh, verse 6 to 8 gives us some examples of gifts. And some of these gifts from verse 6 to 8 look really, really ordinary. Simple stuff. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, there is serving others. Serving others. And verse 8, encouraging others, giving generously, showing mercy. So these things seem to be very, very ordinary things. But these things are given by God. So being a sacrifice means that you surrender your life to serving others at church. Be willing to serve others at church in any way you can. Just serve the church. Maybe for some of you today, one simple way uh, to do that is to encourage someone. Maybe, maybe later during our, during our discussion question, you find out how, you ask the other person who you're chatting with how the person is doing. You can ask how you can pray for that person. Or maybe if you notice that someone isn't here, you can WhatsApp the person and ask if they're okay and ask them how they're doing. Service is something that all of us need to do. And to do that, we must change our mind first. So we just saw that our new lives as sacrifices, we just saw what our new lives as sacrifices mean in church. Now let's look at how to live these new lives as sacrifices in our all our different relationships. So from verse 9 to 21, it seems like a list of jumbled up instructions. So I've tried to arrange them in three different categories. The categories are a relationship with God, relationship with one another, a relationship with your enemies. With God, with one another, with your enemies. So now that we are sacrifices uh, to God, our relationships change. Our relationships are, all di- are different. So for example, uh, when I got married, many, uh, I had many, many changes in my relationships. So firstly, uh, of course, I, mean, I, I, my, I have a wife, so she's now my, she's my wife, not my girlfriend anymore. And secondly, also I now have a relationship with Collie's family. So they are no longer strangers. They are my family. So I treat them like family. And also about my friends. Well, my friends do treat, have to treat me differently. Well, for one, they stop recommending girls to me. <laughs> yeah. well, since I've already gotten the best girl out there, so I think no, no one left already. 
Yeah, so similarly, when we become when we become living sacrifices, our relationships change. So let's look at these uh, three relationships. Firstly, uh, our relationship with God just change uh, changes. Verse eleven says, "Never be lacking in zeal, but keep uh, your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord." Verse eleven says that you must always be zealous, must always be eager to serve God. You must keep being zealous for God, keep being excited about the things of God. One way to be excited is to uh, one way is to be excited when you hear about things that only God can do. So, for example, if someone tells you uh, how he or she became a Christian, well, that's one, that's one point to be excited because only God can change people's hearts. Or maybe be excited as you come to church. Because when you come to church, you are here to meet God uh, in His Word. Hear God speak to us. And from there, be, be eager, be zealous to serve God. That is really hard to do. That is really, really hard to do. If you have been a Christian for any amount of time, you realize that people do lose the eagerness to serve God. Maybe bad things happen. Maybe it's just tiring to keep serving God. Maybe... It just became a, hab- a habit to serve God. But living as a sacrifice means that our lives belong to God. That we belong, don't belong to ourselves anymore. So because we belong to God, it's only right that we be zealous to serve Him. That's the first point. Relationships with God. So now let's think about relationships with one another. How does being a sacrifice change our relationships with one another? I'll just focus on verse 10. Let's look at verse 10 with me. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So being a sacrifice means that we must be devoted, we must be committed to, uh, to one, another, one another. We must uh, put each other, at, we must put each other at a place higher than ourselves, above ourselves and give our lives to honour God by serving others. I think this sounds really, really radical. This sounds uh, crazy, right? Being devoted in love and putting others first means that if I just come on Sundays at 4.30 and go home, then that's not it. That's not it. Being devoted in love, being committed, means that we must care for one another. Being devoted means that we must do our best uh, to help each other grow spiritually each other grow spiritually uh, when you meet when you meet every Sunday at, at, at this at four thirty. So when we chat when we chat, we're not just being polite or maybe uh, or maybe just doing what Minkit say, right? Go around and say hello and shake each other's hand, that kind of thing. No, that's not what we're trying to do. When, when we chat, we're trying to find out how each other is doing. We're trying to find out how we can care for each other. Maybe we're trying, we we can see whether as we chat we can see whether we can encourage them with our words. Maybe can we pray for that person? Maybe can we uh, help that person practically? Or maybe uh, we can start by asking each other, how can I pray for you this week? How can I pray for you this week? Now don't just uh, talk about yourselves. Ask, ask about how you can pray for the, the other person. And the last area we want to focus on today is on our relationships with our enemies. Relationships with our enemies. Okay, so, who are these enemies? Okay, these verses are not very, very clear who these enemies are. 
Are these enemies in the church or are these enemies outside the church? Are these enemies from outside persecuting me or are these enemies in the church who disagree with me or who, I don't know, don't want to pass me the sweets or something? <laughs> right? I think these, these verses are not very... <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good, very good. I think these, these verses right, are not very clear about whether your enemies are inside the church or outside the church. But I think it's, it's all right. It's all right. Because whether your enemies are inside the church or outside the church, the way that we treat them must be the same. The way that we treat them must be what verse 17 says. Uh, let me read it for us. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live as, at peace with everyone. Verse 17 is really, really, really clear. We don't repay people for doing evil to us. So don't take revenge when bad things happen to us. In fact, when we should keep doing good to those people, to our enemies. Just keep doing good. Don't take revenge. But you might think, then if I keep doing good to my enemies, then there's no justice for me. Even though I'm on the right side, there's no justice for me. Isn't that, isn't that unfair? Shouldn't Christians be taking revenge? Why can't Christians take revenge? Oh, the answer is in verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Friends, we must let God take revenge for us. God is a God of justice. So if God is a God of justice, then we cannot... Then, we, then God will never let sinners go away scot-free. Revenge is God's job. He will repay. So trust God. Trust God to do that. Trust God to do that. And our role is to keep doing them good. That's what verse 20 says. You see what it says? Keep doing good to our enemies. Verse 20. On, our, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. See, my enemy was hungry. I don't want him to starve. I want him to thirst to death or something. But this passage tells me to do the opposite. To do the opposite, to do good to them still. And then we will like, heap burning coals on his head. Okay, so what does that mean? Uh, it doesn't mean that we put like burning charcoals on the head, on the guy's head to have a barbecue, right? It doesn't mean that. Okay, so there are two uh, interpretations of, of this verse, of this uh, bit. So it could mean, firstly, that God will bring judgment on your enemies uh, if you do them good. But yeah, so that's uh, the burning coals idea, bring judgment on them. Uh, but I don't think this is, this is correct. Because if God is a just God, uh, God will bring punishment, God will bring judgment uh, whether or not I do any, whether or not I do good to the, to the other person. So for example, right, if let's say uh, my enemy kills me, then I can't do any, I don't have a chance to do any good to them, right? Then will God still bring judgment? Oh yes, God will still bring judgment. So it probably isn't this uh, interpretation. I think heaping burning coals means means this. I think it means that when we do good to our enemies, our enemies will be overcome with shame. And then because they're overcome with shame, uh, they change their thinking, they change their uh, position about us. So friends, if our enemies do evil to you, you must still do them good. This is the life that belongs to God. This is the life 
of a sacrifice. Like people might spread rumors about you saying that you are a slacker who doesn't want to work on Sundays right, because you are here at church. Or people might say that you are a religious nutcase for telling people about Jesus. Or uh, as Minkit said earlier, we are trying to uh, invite people to come to church uh, in November and December because it's a Christmas period. And people might uh, laugh at you. People might mock you. Friends, even though they might do that, we must keep doing good to them. We must keep doing good to them because we know that God will avenge. We don't have to take revenge. So this means that we have to keep respecting our colleague or schoolmates and not spread any false rumors about them or make things difficult for them at work. And if they forget to bring their wallet for lunch, well, what should we do? Should we let them starve to death? No. Offer to buy them lunch. This is how you offer your bodies as a sacrifice. Well, let's conclude. I'm sure by now you must, you must know, you must see that we cannot be like Mickey Cohen. So being living, holy, and pleasing sacrifice means that we cannot hold on to our old way of life. So being a sacrifice means that you belong to God. You belong to God to do what pleases God. We must let God decide how He wants, uh, he wants to use us. So early on, on, we sang the song Undivided. Undivided means that uh, I don't want to be divided. I don't want to spend half my love on this thing and half my love on God. Similarly, we cannot be divided about when to serve God. So I cannot say, right, I'll only be a living sacrifice in church where all my friends are here. But doing good to my enemies, no way, man, no way. That's just too difficult. That's not me. Being a living sacrifice means I cannot choose no, you can't do that. Being a living sacrifice means that you have no choice in when you want to please God. You must serve God. You must please God in every situation and at all times. In every situation and at all times. Okay, let me read to you the lyrics of the next song we're going to sing. Okay, let's see if it works. Sorry, Kali. Okay, yeah. It says, Take my life and let it be consecrated uh, Lord, to thee, take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love, at the impulse of thy love. Friends, we are living sacrifices for God. Your life doesn't belong to you. You belong to God. So live this sacrifice in church. Think of yourself as uh, lower than others. Be their servants and be willing to serve them. And live, live out their sacrifice in your relationships. Be zealous for God. Be excited about things of God, be excited to serve God and be devoted uh, to one another, be devoted to caring for one another here, caring for each other here and do good to all, especially to those who hate you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Father, uh, please work in us to please you, to live out this life as a living sacrifice, wholly pleasing to you. Please give us the strength to do that, even though it's difficult, and give us the wisdom to know how to do that. You ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.